Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Mark Tapping. Uh, I used to be one of the pastors here, <laughs> and I went on long service leave, and I'm trying to still be one of the pastors here. Uh, just don't get the wrong news. Um, for those of you who are visiting, welcome, as Jib said earlier. Good to have you with us. Uh, I just want to take this opportunity to say just thank you, first of all, to the elders. While we were, we were able to have 11 weeks off, uh, long service leave is amazing time. I suspected that something would go wrong. You know, there would need to be some mayday call, kind of the, look, we know you're on holiday and we're sorry to bust in, but something has to be, a decision has to be made. Can we just talk about something? And um, so I prepared myself for it, but the call never came. Uh, and not because I had my phone off the whole time, <laughs> although that's true, but the call never came because the call was never made. Um, so just uh, credit to Josh and Jib and their wives for how well they've led through this time, um, but also to this church. Um, it's just remarkable to be away for that long and know that things are going well because there's people who love Jesus. And when there's people that love Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It does mean we're just kind of drifting towards uh, godliness. Um, and so that's really great. Uh, so it's really good to be with you, but just to commend you as a church um, and to commend the elders. What a, what a great place to be in. There's no place that we would rather return after 11 weeks than to this body. And that's not to undermine any other church in Perth. I, I know churches full of lovely, wonderful, glorious, awesome churches. It, it's just great to come back to this one. Um, so, yeah, good to see you. Last week, we had a lot of nerves. It was kind of crazy coming in. And Nas and I were like, so nervous. Your heart racing, struggling to breathe, trying to like act normal. Um, and we're like, this is so strange. Why? I mean, it's just, it's King's Cross. It's our people. But um, that's how we felt. And then this morning, I realized, um, I don't think I remember how to preach. Um, well, I realized that during this week while I was trying to prepare. And, um, but then this morning, uh, realizing, you know, I, I kind of forgotten how things work. But I know you remember and so, I'm going to rely on you remembering what preaching is supposed to be. I'll tell you uh, some of the things, besides the fact like it should come from the Bible. If it doesn't come from the Bible, ignore it. Um, this is not the final word. Go weigh it up with the Word of God. Uh, if it is the Word of God, do it. Don't go weigh it up. Do it. Obey it. Um, but other things as well is uh, when someone preaches, it should absolutely blow your mind with how madly God loves sinners. Not God loves perfect people, God loves sinners. It should help you relax to go, whoa, He knows me as I am. He loves me as I am. He's going to change me. He's not going to leave me as I am, but God loves me as I am. So you should feel that sense of warmth. Um, you should also know how wonderful His plan is for your life. You should have a sense that God doesn't want to just rescue you. God wants to, He has a plan for your whole life. And you should have a sense of excitement of God wants to work through me. God wants to work in me. God wants me to make Perth a better place. Um, and also, there should be a sense of how brilliantly He provides all that's needed from start to finish. So you shouldn't leave going, so I better try harder, I better do more, but a greater sense of He's going to give me everything I need for all He's called me to do. So I better trust Him. Uh, I can trust Him, not better trust Him. I can trust Him. I can step out uh, off the cliff, the kind of, um, what's that guy, Indiana Jones, step off the mountain and trust that He's going to come through if He's called you in that direction. So there's some of those things you should, you should feel. 
as God's word is spoken. So watch and listen and let's see if we can get there today. Um, the series is called Empowered and uh, you won't be surprised that Josh gave it that name. Um, for those of you who don't know, Josh calls himself a powerful unit. Uh, it's one of those situations, you know those self-given nicknames where someone tries to sow the thoughts until other people use it? Powerful unit is Josh's, and, and the indoctrination is that one day we as, a, as King's Cross will also understand that he's a powerful unit, and he is. He is just to affirm, he is a powerful unit. Uh, there's no denial. Um, so he called us Empowered, but the name Empowered goes a little bit further than what Josh is saying in Powerful Unit. The name Empowered suggests that something happens to me. It's not describing who I am, Powerful Unit. It's describing how something happens to me, it's a little bit kind of like futuristic, almost uh, like some sort of um, thing is put into me that makes me able to do what I alone can't do. You, you know, so if you're like going to gym or something and you take some sort of, you know, you can't work out any longer, so you take some extra vitamins and suddenly you can work out a lot more, it's, you know, there's this empowered, something has come and been put into me. Uh, and so, you know, what is that? Uh, how is that done? Um, is that in the Bible? This kind of futuristic something is placed in you that makes you some sort of superhuman that can accomplish what you can't do alone? That's a little bit exciting. Um, but then this morning, the sermon was titled, Empowered Life, Grace to Live for God. Empowered Life suggests that this thing that's put into me, this kind of superpower is not put in so that I can accomplish something or not put in so that I can accomplish one thing, but it's put into me so that I can accomplish all things that God has for me, which is quite remarkable. So the idea, you know, empowered living, uh, grace, uh, empowered life, grace to live for God, this idea that this empowerment whatever God has put into us, enables us, gives us the grace to do every single thing that God has called us to do, and God has called us to do things that we on our own cannot do, which is quite exciting, quite daunting, um, and quite uh, curious. Let's see, God, what you're talking about, I think, right? And um, this is what the book of Acts is all about. Uh, it's no secret that for those of you who've been Christians for a while and you've studied theology yourself, these verses have caused some kind of confusion in the Christian camp. And, there's, you know, Christians, as, as Christians, like all of people, we like things to be black and white, yeah. right? Do you like things to be black and white? I do. Yes or no? Yeah. Don't give me the gray. Don't give me the in-between. Don't give me the maybes. Just give me the yeses and nos. Um, so that things... But God's not always like that. Um, and, but sometimes we try and, and make things super clear that aren't super clear, and that makes things a little bit unhelpful. And around these verses, um, some of that has happened. And so, um, <coughs> let me describe kind of two ways that, uh, I think what I'm trying to say is that the more definite answer you try to give these verses and an understanding, the further away from the truth you probably get. And some of it has to stay in the mystery of God, the open-hearted and handedness of being God's people. You are God, I am not but I trust you, um, rather than being super, uh, super sure that we know exactly what we're expecting. Um, and so on one side, there's, there's this idea of, you know, and some people have kind of said, 
You know, what happened there in Pentecost, what Cheryl read to us, and the Holy Spirit came down, and there was thunder uh, and smoke and tongues of fire, and um, then people began to speak other languages. Everyone heard the gospel. You know, this is something, it's clearly felt, it's clearly experienced, and um, that happened. God did it. It was an endorsement of the apostles' ministry. It was necessary to understand that the gospel ministry was being passed from Jesus to His disciples. Everyone had to know it. And once that had been accomplished by the apostles in their life, it's no longer necessary. That's not something we ever wait for again, right? And so I was in a... Um, let, let, let's just stay there for a second. On the other side, you've got a group going, same thing. You know, it was heard and it was smelt and it was seen and it was felt. There was no denying it. And that's precisely what we should have today. And if you haven't had it, you shouldn't be very sure that you're a Christian and if you can't speak in tongues, you're definitely not a Christian. And I kid you not, there's a church that you can walk to from here that will preach that every single week, that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. Uh, and so there's that kind of, you know, and they're using the same Bible verse. I remember sitting in a, in a uni class, Bible study, Bible college, and we were studying um, Calvinism and Corinthians, and the professor said, you know, the gifts of the Spirit no longer exist. We don't need all that. Basically, you know, Acts, well, Acts 2 was great. It was God endorsing that, and that doesn't happen any longer. Uh, I was sitting at the back of the class because I had to leave early for a soccer match, and um, there were a bunch of students in the school that were coming to our church. There was this kind of renewal happening in the college, and a bunch of those kids were, were coming through the church, and, and they had kind of been raised Calvinists in this, under this kind of schooling, and they turned around and looked at me knowing that I was one of the leaders in this church that don't, didn't agree with what was being said. And they're like, are you going to say something? And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got a soccer game in like five minutes. Um, these guys are all looking back. So I raised my hand and sheepishly said, sir, why does Paul say to us, I want you, you know, I pray with my mind and I pray in the Spirit and I sing with my mind and I sing in the Spirit and I would love that for you if he doesn't expect us to do it. I mean, why does Paul want something for us that he knows we can't have? And the professor went, I remember he went, the color purple that was like a, the only thing, I, it was like a beetroot. <laughs> he was mad. He was angry. And he, he thought that I was speaking from this camp. And he thought I was going the way of saying to the whole class, if you guys don't speak in tongues, none of you are Christians. He's getting angry and he went, he said, the gifts of the Spirit, the infilling of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit does exist, but it's because of Christians like you that it's too dangerous to teach. Whoa. Even those who are in this camp, teaching this, have to admit our, answer, our questions haven't been answered. We've got a firm position, but we're not even sure about it. It's just safe. It's, it's safe to be sure about what you know, even if in your heart of hearts, you're sure that you don't know. <laughs> and on this side, as I've told you already, today, God's children, people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, will be told, you're not a Christian because you don't speak in tongues. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no scripture that you can find in the Bible that says that there's any sort of sign that tongues announces that you are saved. 
Isn't it interesting that in Acts 2, what happens to the apostles, 3,000 people get saved. Isn't it interesting that 3,000 people don't have tongues of fire that come upon them? And yet we can say, unless tongues of fire come upon you, you're not a Christian. Well, 3,000 people that got saved maybe weren't Christians. It's ridiculous. So all I'm trying to say is, let's not be super sure about what we don't know or know. Rather, let's stand in kind of a middle, uncomfortable place and say, God, your word speaks and Jesus promises that you are going to empower all of your children with the Holy Spirit and that we are going to walk in a grace every day to be able to naturally do the supernatural things of God. And we don't really know how that works. And some people experience it and some people don't in terms of they can say, I felt something, something happened to me. And some people don't. Let me give you... I was reluctant to give you a personal story, but I'm going to, not as theology. Again, you need to weigh it up on Scripture. I, I, I could say I haven't, I haven't had a fallover moment. You know the meetings where you go to and get prayed for and then you fall over? Well, you get, you, you know, the Spirit comes upon you and you fall over. I haven't, I haven't had a moment. What, what do I mean by that? I was getting prayed by, for by kind of a world-famous ministry guy, and um, he was praying for me, and everyone around me had fallen over, and he got to me, and there was no falling over happening. And I was, I mean, I was waiting. I, I was Jesus loving, come Holy Spirit, not fall afresh on me, just knock me over. I'm ready. I want it all. That's all I want. And it was, you know, it was getting, it, it's, there was this tension. His reputation was starting to get pulled into question because I was just standing. And I realized I was starting to fall backwards, but only under the pressure of his hand. So I kind of pushed back. But if he let go, I'd fall forwards. So, so there was this like, and eventually, I mean, I, was, I don't know, I was like at Zeke's age, 16 or something, maybe younger. I was like, you know what would be easier and make this whole thing end? I'll just fall over. So I just fell over, got caught by warm hands. I mean, it's a wonderful experiment anyway. Just you stand up in church, feel the love of your brothers and sisters, just fall into their warm and have a little nap on the floor. It's fantastic. But it but didn't feel anything. In other words, I, I, I can say, I haven't really ever had a Pentecost experience. However, how, and this is what I'm really cautious about saying, but, it, but it's true. At that same college, a friend and I, who also hadn't had a, a Pentecost experience, prayed for a professor who was going for heart surgery, have stints put into his heart, prayed for him. We, I, I didn't know that our college didn't believe in it. It was before the Corinthians thing. I, I had no clue what Calvinism even was. I was completely ignorant. When we got up and put our hands on him, there was a, <gasps> in the class. Because they all knew what we were doing was wrong. My friend knew what we were doing was wrong, and he was enjoying it. <laughs> so no one closed their eyes. They all stared at us, gasping. And we innocent, I innocently, my friend, rebelliously, placed hands on the professor and asked God to heal him. The professor got up at, uh, I was at another soccer game, and the professor got up at the assembly in front of all the kids. He said, uh, theologically, we don't teach the gifts of the Spirit exist. And that's our position. But I've been supernaturally healed. And God did that. And then the renewal happened in the college. 
and then Corinthians happened. <laughs> I remember a guy coming to church with a cancer as big as a baseball on his car. I remember praying for him, just in like a meet and greet time. Hey, how you going? Well, I've got this cancer. They need to operate, blah, blah, blah. Can we pray? Yeah, sure. Pray as you're praying, going, man, all I, all I, you know, this thing is silly, but what I feel to pray for you is that God would just make it dry up and like a raisin and we'd just die. I don't even know if we prayed or if we just kind of said, this is, what's, this is what I'd like to pray, you know. And the next week he came to church, the next week, or, I don't remember the time, the next week or two weeks later he came to church and he gave a testimony. I went to the doctor. The doctor says the cancer has dried up like a raisin and it's no more. I think what I'm trying to tell through these stories, and the stories can go on, is that I, I haven't had the acts to experience, but I've seen God work through His Spirit through me. Now, I know other people have had acts to experience. I, my wife could get up here and say she's had lots of those experiences, in a sense. So I'm not, I'm not, tr- you know, I'm not trying to move us to one side or the other. I'm trying to keep us in the gray middle to say it's not about... Have you felt the Holy Spirit? It's, have you, do you know the filling of the Holy Spirit? Do you know the empowerment of God that Jesus has promised us that we can be His witnesses as Cheryl uh, prayed today at the, uh, at the before service prayer meeting, which you should all come to? I haven't got a clue where I am in my notes. Okay. So turning back to these verses... What I'd like to do is give us some historical kind of perspective on them and how people might have understood and received it. Remember, um, for these 3,000 people in Jerusalem and for the disciples, it's the unfolding of the next part of Scripture. We pick up our Bibles and we read Genesis to Revelation and now we're waiting for Jesus. They didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament is unfolding to them, but they're reading everything that's happening according to the Old Testament. So we need to do the same thing and go, what is it that they knew in the Old Testament that they could perceive was happening right before them to give them confidence that this is God fulfilling His promises? And so let's just look at some of those things. Let's see some of God's big picture unfolding. Luke himself tells us that that this is what we should do. We should look into the Old Testament to understand what God's doing in the New Testament. Um, Luke says... uh, Jesus, he, he says, I'm right to you all that Jesus began to do and to teach until he ascended. That's how he starts these verses. So between Jesus' resurrection from the dead and his ascension, he went and spoke to his disciples. He went and trained them. He went and taught them. He went and explained some things to them about the kingdom of God. That's verses 1 to, one, uh, to 3. But what was Jesus telling them? Right? What, what, what is this that Jesus is teaching them? Well, we know what it is because Luke told us. At the end of Luke, who, and remember Luke wrote Acts, at the end of Luke, Luke tells us what Jesus began to do and to teach them and to open up their eyes to understand now as they move into this next phase. Luke writes, Jesus met uh, these two disciples um, on the road to Emmaus, and uh, he says, you know, they don't, they don't, they're confused about Jesus' death and reports of his resurrection. They, 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 they just don't understand it. Why is, why is Jesus gone? You know, has he been raised? Is he dead? What's, has his body been stolen? What's going on? We just don't get it. And Jesus says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Um, all the prophets have spoke, 
have spoken. What, what are they fools and, and slow to believe? The Old Testament. What they know God has said. So I just want to say I, I'm also in the fool and slow to learn category. I've been a Christian all my life. I'm not sure all that God has promised in the Old Testament. I, I, I don't know it all. Slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. What is not necessar- uh, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses, so like Genesis and Exodus and the story, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so the, the Bible that they had, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So He explained how all the things God was doing were, were picturing and promising what he was going to ultimately fulfill, and then the, what the church was going to continue. So, Jesus is saying, your Bible, the Old Testament, told you that everything Jesus did and said was going to happen. So, what are you confused about? It's all right there. And then he opened up their eyes to see him and to understand, and they got it. And then he vanished. After this event, uh, the disciples gathered, and they were all sharing these stories, and they, these two were back, and they were like, he told us this, and he told us that, and, and that scripture that which we've never understood, this is how it works, and this is what happened, and you know how Moses did this, or you know how the prophets spoke that, this is how Jesus has fulfilled it, this is what it was speaking about, and they, they're teaching each other, and preaching to each other, and saying, we saw him, and we heard him, and what is going on, and Jesus arrives into their presence. And some of them are still cynical, just like I would be. All right, this is exciting, but show me. You know, so he shows them, he shows the holes, he says, give me some fish to eat to prove I'm not a ghost, and he, he eats with them. And then, he, um, and then he says, these are my words that I've spoken. This is all at the end of Luke. These are the words that I've spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms. Do you know the Psalms are all about Jesus? And the Psalms must be fulfilled. So when we have this gospel-centered idea that we preach all of Scripture towards Christ, and when we open up the Psalms, you might go, the Psalms are not about Jesus, David's talking about himself. Well, there's a Psalm about crucifixion. How how David was never crucified, how is that possible? How does... Why do we do that? Because Jesus Himself said that the Scriptures are all about Him. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and He said to them, Thus it is written that, and behold, I'm se- uh, and then He carried on and He goes, And behold, I'm sending the promise of My Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's the kind of last thing He says to them. You're going to have to wait then he ascends into heaven, and they wait for 10 days. So, let's talk about some of the dots that lead to this event. Let's, let's join in the disciples and see how the old and the new come together and what God may be doing, and hopefully create some expectation that indeed, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have uh, turned to God through the forgive, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins, God, I am a sinner in need of mercy and grace, and I turn to you through the loving mercy revealed by your Son, He has paid it all for me. He has sacrificed His life as a punishment for the wrath of God against my sin, and He's received my death, and I turn to Him. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. Then the promise of God to send His Spirit to you and the expectation to walk by faith 
in the Spirit is yours to have today. Let's see if we can get there. So some of the dots. Um, in the verse 8, God's mission to the world, uh, you know, if you go through the Old Testament, God told Adam and Eve, you know, go, to, go, go into all the worlds, uh, kind of multiply, grow. There was, this, there was this calling to spread out and grow this kingdom that God had kind of created in two people. This, but obviously sin comes, they reject God, they fall away. So God creates a nation through Abraham. He says, Abraham, through you, the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Through you, I'm going to make a people, and your people are going to go throughout the world, and the nations are going to be blessed through them. And so it continues on. Then Jesus comes and he says to his disciples, you go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them through, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's you guys who are the uh, spiritual Israel or Abraham's people. Uh, you are the ones who through faith, Abraham was saved through faith, redeemed through faith. You are, you are through faith, the spiritual people of God. You're going to go to all the nations. And the way that you're going to bless them is you're going to take the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the blessing to the nations is the gospel, the message of Jesus. And it's the people of God who do it, the spiritual Israel alive today. And so... Uh, it's through the Gospels that the nations are both reached and blessed. Jesus says, uh, you'll be my witnesses, you'll be a blessing, but wait for the Holy Spirit, you can't do it without Him, you can't do it alone, and then you're going to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's going to go like concentric circles outward. Well, that's you know the nations of the world. As you read through Acts, what's fascinating, and Luke just gives us the chronology. He's not trying to enforce anything on the story. He just, Luke just, he's a doctor. He just very carefully tells the story as it unfolds. And what you find, if you look at the story geographically, you just go, let's put the story in its geographic uh, location as it unfolds. Acts 1 to 7 is all in Jerusalem. Then Acts 8 to 11 happens in Judea and Samaria. It's spreading outwards. And then the rest of Acts happens in the rest of the Roman world, the known world at that time. It happens all in Rome, or mostly in Rome, and all the centers of Rome. What happens in the, na the natural narrative of Acts is that the church becomes the people of God who move all over the world as a blessing to the nations with the message of Jesus Christ. Exactly as Jesus said it would. And do you know how, who the clever disciples were that figured it out? None of them. It was just the Holy Spirit. It was waking up in the morning and trusting God to lead them. We find a story in Acts where one of them goes, I try to go this way, but the Holy Spirit said no. I try to go that way, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. I try to go this way, I try to go that way. The Holy Spirit just shut all doors, and so I went to sleep. <laughs> Sometimes walking in the Spirit means you go to bed. And then a dream came to me in the night, and God showed me which way to go, and I got up in the morning, and we headed. Can any of you sleep? No. Some of you can't. Some of you with babies, remember that you used to be able to sleep. Okay, my point I'm trying to make there is not really about whether you can sleep or not. It's that sometimes walking with the Holy Spirit is not super complicated. 
It's trusting God enough to go to sleep when we freaked and freaked out and stressed out about the direction of our lives. Can you rest in Him? It's being able to step off the mountain, the cliff, to trust Him to go, this is the direction He said, I'll go, and He'll come through. Indiana Jones. Let me, let me carry on to you. Okay, Passover. Let me show you some of the connections again. So what's happening here? Uh, just picture it. What's happening is Passover, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. Then He's been crucified. Then He's been raised from the dead. Then for 40 days He appears to the disciples. Then they've been waiting for 10 days as, after He ascended into heaven. So then there's the 50th day. That's our window. The 50th day, Pentecost happens. Pente, 50. Uh, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit comes down on them. So Passover to Pentecost are our bookmarks, right? This is, this is what we, we're thinking about. So Passover, at Passover, the Israelites remembered that God had rescued them out of slavery. You remember that? So what the, Israel, the Israelites, they weren't a nation, but they kept grow, They were a people, they were a family, they kept growing and multiplying and getting stronger in Egypt, and the pharaohs kept putting greater work on them as slaves, but the, the harsher the environment, the more they just grew, grew fruitful. Because God, you, you can't push God's people down. And often suffering causes the sweet fragrance, uh, sweet perfume of Christ. To, so they just grew, and they grew, and they grew. And then uh, God wanted to rescue them. It's time now to, to move out of slavery and go and be free and be my people and serve me. He's going to make a nation of them. And so what he said was, put the, the blood of a lamb over the doorpost. And I know many of you know the story, but I'm, I'm just going to tell it for those of you who don't. And so all the Israelites and anyone else who believed in God could take the blood of a pure and spotless lamb and they could put it over their doorposts and the, and the, and the sides, kind of like a cross. They didn't know that. Could put it over there. And then that night, the angel of death came over and passed over. That's where we get the name Passover. The angel of death came, passed over the, the houses and entered the houses where, uh, and killed the, the firstborn wherever there wasn't the blood of the lamb passed over where there was. In the morning, there was great mourning. In the morning, there was great grief because lots of babies had died. The Pharaoh said, get out my land, go. God had done a miracle. They walked out free. So at Passover, the Israelites remembered that through the blood of the lamb, God rescued them and freed them from slavery. It was a picture of, of what God was going to do through Jesus. Interesting, the day that the lamb was brought, every family had to have a lamb. So they'd bring the lamb into the home in Jerusalem, get it ready to get sacrificed. The day that was happening, Israel was a buzz, and all the families are getting their lambs ready. Jesus walks into Jerusalem. The lamb of God walks into town because that's the day for the lamb to arrive. As the lamb is sacrificed, at the temple, that same day, that same hour, the Lamb of God is sacrificed on the cross. And while you can hear the bleating and crying out of sacrificial lambs, you hear the Son of God on the cross crying out, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And as the Lamb dies, a picture of God's merciful rescue and forgiveness and rescue into freedom God's mercy enters the world through the grace of Jesus Christ. A way to be saved, a way for all people to be saved, is made. Amazing. You go, what a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. God's writing the story. He put the pieces there so that He could do it. 
this is the point. He just was, was leaving a look to see what should happen. Every family, as I said, had to have their own lamb. You can go read about this in Exodus 12. And then the scriptures tell us that when we put our faith in Jesus, God brings us into his family. We are all put into one family. That's why we only need one lamb. You know, the, this nationality or men and women or uh, it doesn't matter where you come from. The Muslims don't need a different lamb to the Jews, to the secular atheists, to the, we all have one lamb. Why? Because each family needed one lamb. And when you are saved, you're brought into the family of God. Therefore, the one lamb for the whole family is enough. Um, the lamb had to be completely eaten. Nothing could be left over. Jesus was customarily uh, buried in a tomb. It, it wasn't what they would do, but because of Passover, they put him in a tomb. The lamb's blood uh, saved all those who believed, and obviously Jesus' blood saves all those who believe him. The Jews were freed. You want to be free of guilt and sin and shame, free of the wrath of God against those things. We put our faith in Jesus Christ, not our goodness. And we are freed. Forty days later, forty days after this, the, Israelite, the Israelites got to the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses went up into the mountain to go speak to God. What do you want to do with this people that you've saved? Forty days later, the disciples are gathered with Jesus at, on, at Mount Zion as he ascends into heaven to go and intercede for us in the presence of God. What are we going to do with this people that you've rescued and saved? And so they have Moses as a kind of a, a middleman between them and God, and we have Jesus who intercedes for us and stands for us as a priest in God's presence. Same day, same moment. The disciples can see this happening. Oh my goodness. You can, you can imagine what comes next for them, right? I think you can. So while Moses was up on the mountain, the people were told to wait for God. Just wait. Do nothing. While Jesus ascended into heaven, what did he say to his disciples? Here's your mission, but go wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. The people waited 10 days before Moses came down from the mountain. The disciples waited 10 days. That got them to 50 days. That got them to 50 days. The day of Pentecost day came. The day that Moses came down the mountain with the law of God came. And on the day that Moses came down with the law of God, the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. And what God gave the disciples instead of a new law was a new spirit. And the law came to uh, make a nation. A people. You can't have a nation of people without governance. The law came to govern and to lead and to give them uh, a way of life and how to live for God, how to identify themselves as a people of God. But the, Lord couldn't, the law couldn't rescue them. It couldn't save them. If anything, the law showed them that they were sinners in need of salvation. The law condemned them. But the Scriptures say the law uh, brings death, the, the Spirit brings life. The law tells you that you're in trouble. You know, if, you, if you're speeding on the road, that's like a 60, and you're going 100, 
You only, know, you only know that you're in trouble because there's a law that you need to go 60, right? Without the law, you could drive however you want. You could kill people. You could uh, put yourself in danger. Hey, you, would, you wouldn't even know that it's wrong. But the law tells you, don't do that. Be safe. Drive this, this speed. This is what's okay. As you go around this bend, you can go around it at 30 k's an hour. That's okay, appropriate. Otherwise, people might be flying off of it at 200 k's an hour. So the law shows you, you've gone way beyond the limits. You, you're, you haven't and you can't walk as God wants you to, but the Spirit gives life. How does the Spirit give life? The Spirit comes uh, into imperfect people and begins to put into them the character of God, the character of Jesus. He begins to make them like Jesus, turning them into, into the nature of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. Now, don't misunderstand. If you're not a follower of Jesus, don't hear me saying you are a God and you are increasingly becoming God. You are not a God. You are a fallen person in need of God's rescue. But as He works upon your life, His influence on you is to make you more like the beautiful, wonderful Jesus whom you follow. So, the power that we have. You know, the Nas has this, the Holy Spirit in, in her. So when we got married, I, I think I was probably the most ungracious man I knew. I think. I, I don't remember very well, but I think I was very ungracious. You would know exactly what I think all the time, which wasn't very useful for anyone. And two years later, God broke my heart and started showing me how ungracious I was and how gracious He was. And I went to her one day and I said, I don't know if you know this, but um, I think I've been quite ungracious. And she went, oh yeah, I've been praying for you uh, for two years. What was she doing? Well, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and give you power. The word power there is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive power. It's, it's changing power. Nas, in a sense, knew she can try and change me with an attitude, with harsh words, with correction, with rebuke, and, and that would, a lot of it would be fair, but she might change my behavior, she might not change my heart. I might just start, you know, like, be acting different, but getting frustrated or irritated, or I, I don't even know. But she knew a way to put dynamite inside of me and blow up my ungraciousness. And the, the way was through the power of the Holy Spirit. So she went to God in prayer, and in the grace of God, found the grace to deal with an ungracious husband, to be forgiving and merciful and kind and patient, showing the grace of God through the Holy Spirit to someone, because it's not helpful to tell someone you're ungracious in an ungracious way. So she showed me grace. Then on top of that, she went and prayed in the power of the Holy Spirit for Him to come into my life and to wreck it. And the dunamis, the power of God, was lit Took a while. Why? Because he's gentle. And as Nas prayed today, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you don't overpower us, you empower us. Why does God take so long to work? Because he loves people. Because he's gentle. I've got children, four of them. I hope to help, help them be okay people by 18. That's a long time. Why, I mean, why weren't they like totally perfect after one year in my presence? <laughs> yeah, the fact that you're all laughing means you all don't have that expectation of being wonderful after my presence. And that's the reality, is things take time. Even, but God working gently with us, changing us, 
and not slapping my behavior, but blowing up my heart, causing repentance, saying, God, I see how ungracious, I don't even know how to be gracious, but I see how ungracious I am. Can you change me? You have that power too. You can pray change into people. You can pray change into you. So the 50th day of Passover, the ground thundered, the cloud of smoke covered the mountain, and Moses came down the mountain with the law of God. And on the 50th day, the ground shook, fire, tongues of fire. You know what happened when Moses came down the mountain? He found an idolatrous people. What happened that day? Any of you know, I don't, I don't want to, it's no trick. Let me just tell you what happened that day. That day, go read the story. That day, as Moses came down the mountain and found idolatrous people, 3,000 people died. The Holy Spirit came down. What happened the day the Holy Spirit came down? 3,000 people lived. God's telling his story. It was right that 3,000 people died. In fact, everyone should have died. It was merciful that not everyone died. But it was a sign that God was showing. The law comes to bring death. It shows you that you, don't, you, you are not on God's side. You are standing against Him. Even after He's rescued you, after 10 days later, uh, then 40 days later, so the 50th day, you've made a golden calf and you're worshipping something else already. Uh, you are a rebellious people. The law reveals that to you. The Holy Spirit brings life. Spirit of grace, the Spirit of mercy. God comes and He rescues sinners, idolatrous people. The law, uh, uh, the, the, the Spirit outdoes the law. The law reveals our need, the Spirit meets our need. We can't turn to the law. We mustn't be a legalistic people. We mustn't try and keep this. We must focus on being a Spirit-filled people. And as Michael Eaton used to say, as you walk with the Spirit intentionally, as you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, He will help you outdo this. Whatever the law required, the Spirit will help you do more than that. So the Spirit says, uh, the law says, young man, don't look at woman with lust in your eyes. Well, young men, have you been to Cottesloe Beach in the summer? It's very hard. It's, it's almost a nude beach. There's not much clothing there. The law can't help you with that. Well, all it can tell you is that it's wrong. And you can go home like this, going, man, I am beating my flesh. I am struggling. I, I don't even know where to look anymore. I just walk around Cottesloe like this now. But... The Spirit can give you a pure heart. The Spirit can help you to see something else. The Spirit can change your heart and give you new eyes. So when you're standing there struggling, don't go, I'm an idiot, God. How could you save someone like me? You go, Spirit, I see my need for you. Your law is revealing that I can't keep God's law by myself. Thank you for your Spirit that can empower me to have a pure heart and pure eyes, and to look upon people with love, and kindness, and mercy, and compassion, and not judgment. Some, some aspects of you, educated people, maybe you think you're, you're educated, you've worked hard to get to where you're at, you know, you've probably made better life choices than other people uneducated people. You're looking down on people. 
You're condescending. The law will reveal and you go, oh man, I'm so super smart and clever and I've worked so hard and I'm, now I've really like put myself in a spot. You can spend your whole life there or you can turn to the Spirit and say, Spirit, help me to understand that the life I have is by the grace of God and the doors you've opened are by the grace of God and where I stand is by the sovereignty of God and nothing I have is of my own doing but your goodness to me. Help me to see people with your eyes and not walk to, next to homeless people and think it's their decisions, their fault. Help me to walk past homeless people and to have a broken heart like Jesus did who bent over uh, to help them mercifully. Give me your heart for the people I look down on. If you're a racist, if you're a whateverist, don't turn to the law. It's only going to show you that you are wrong. Let the law show you that you're wrong and turn to the Holy Spirit and call out for Him to work upon your heart. The law, though wonderful and good, will condemn you because you are not wonderful and good. The Spirit will give life because the Spirit empowers us to be changed. It transforms us. The Spirit, He is the dynamite of God to change us, to transform us. Let me see if I can remember how to land this, this thing. The law of God cannot make you worship God above all. You know, Jesus above all, others before me. The law of God can tell you, the law of God does tell you that Putting God above all is right and putting others before you is right. The law of God confirms that and affirms that, but the law of God can't make, help you to put God above all and others before me. It can condemn you when you don't put God above all and others before you. And you can walk around a sad Christian going, I'm not putting God above all. I didn't. I'm selfish. And I didn't put others before me. I put myself before. Or you can walk around as a proud Christian going, I am so good at putting God above all, and I'm so great at putting others before me, I wished others would be more like me. The law can help do that, but it cannot disciple you like the Holy Spirit does, who is given to us by Jesus to transform our hearts, to actually put Jesus above all, to want to, to love to, to, for it to be our joy and desire. The Holy Spirit loves to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit takes away the duty of putting God above all and gives you the delight to put God above all, where you wake up one day and go, no longer do I feel I ought to, I've woken up today and all I want to do is put God above all. I find that is what I'm interested in. I find that's what I want to know. When someone says, here's two options for you, which one do you want? I find I want to know which option glorifies God the most. What does He want for me? That's what I want. That's what the Holy Spirit can do in you. Put others before me. It's not natural to put others before yourself. You will lose out. We have kind of the saying in our, our family, Kind of, because my children tell us we say this. So I've learned <laughs> that we, we remind our children that things are not fair, but that in the family you don't miss out. And we get that not because we can guarantee they won't miss out, but we more get that from God, knowing that as His children, life is not going to be fair. It's not. Today Christians will be killed for their faith. You will go have a nice lunch and maybe some ice cream at the beach. That is not fair. Same God, same Savior, same rescue, same freedom, same love, same joy, same hope, same faith. But no one's going to miss out. Like the parable of 
you know, the, the servants who've worked all day and the servants who worked the last hour, they got, they got paid the same. Why? Because the master's like that. You're not going to miss out. The Holy Spirit helps us to put people above ourselves, even if they treat us badly, even if we think we might lose out on an opportunity. We just, the Holy Spirit helps us to trust God, to help, helps us let go, helps us say, I can drive this thing, or I can just go, it's yours. I trust you. You open the door, you close the door. Let's see what happens. Try it. Take something that's really precious to you. Until five people, this thing's really precious to me. I'm just going to open it up to God. What do you think? It's His. Well, what do you think? What, what should you Just take something that's really meaningful to you. Don't take something like your marriage. God, what do you... <laughs> like, if you've got an opportunity for promotion, take that. Say, I've got an opportunity for promotion and I probably have the personality to guarantee I can get the job. I'm going to let it go. And, and can you pray with me? Can we, can we hold it? And just trust God. Watch what He does. What are the implications for us? God's telling His rescue story. He's giving us His Holy Spirit. The implications for us is, one, that we walk by the Spirit, not by the law. We are born of the Spirit, not the law. We live by the Spirit, not the law. The letter of the law kills, the Spirit gives life. And I've demonstrated that through different means. Whatever you are, whoever you are, you don't have patience. The law shows you that not to love is impatient. That if you don't have patience, you're just a boom, Paul, Peter, Paul showed us, clanging symbol. You're just a clanging symbol. If you have not love. But you can't just then go ahead and get it at Woolworths. Where, where do you get it? The? The what of the... the the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Where am I going to get love? The Spirit. I, I, don't, need a, I don't need to fall over in, in church, and you, you can do that. See, I'm not, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not trying to make any comment on any of those things. All I'm trying to say is what is guaranteed is you can get it from the Holy Spirit. He has loved dynamite that can blow up your impatience, and the fruit of the Spirit of love that is patience can be born in your life. You don't have patience? Go to the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Help me, your Holy Spirit, to be a patient person. Put the patience of God in my life. Bear your fruit. I've heard a few people talk this year wonderfully about their hopes and dreams and, and, and one of the things is that they're going to need to do that is self-discipline. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians says, is self-discipline. Well, isn't that interesting? It's not the fruit of the Spirit isn't spirit discipline. The fruit of the Spirit is self-discipline. Isn't that fascinating that the, the walking with the Holy Spirit is so intimate that His fruit in my life is self-discipline. In other words, He empowers me to have discipline. But it's not my power. It's His. And it's His fruit in my life. Which is such a relief. Because there's areas where I don't have discipline. And I know it. How discouraging. God, I want to glorify you. But I can't. But yes, you can. Holy Spirit, this is an area where I lack and I need you. Won't you please work in my life? Won't you help me? We've done a habit series, heard great feedback, especially from the elders. They told me they, they smashed it. 
But, you know, some people struggle to read the Word of God. Do yourself a favor. Don't make a New Year's resolution. Don't promise yourself you're going to do better this year. Turn to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I struggle to get myself into the Word of God, but I want to feast on your daily bread. I want to hear what the Lord has to say to me. I want to eat of this uh, bread and this water that gives life through Jesus. Please won't you help me? Watch. Watch longing. Watch for desire. Watch for moments. Watch for ability. Someone say this, and I think it's great. The Holy Spirit doesn't make our living for God better. He makes living for God possible. If you go read in Ephesians 3, and I won't now, it's where uh, Paul says, I pray this for you. I pray that you might know the love of God. I pray that you might be strengthened with power from God. The expectation of Paul is that every single Christian would know the empowering of the Holy Spirit that manifests the love of God into our hearts and strengthens us to live for God. That's his expectation. It's his expectation for you. The Bible gives us an expectation that we can grow in the knowledge of the love of God and the empowerment of his strength. So the Holy Spirit isn't a fee- for a feeling. The Holy Spirit is here for filling. We get filled with the Spirit. Wonderful if you have encounters and feelings. Great. But if you haven't had that, don't think you're a second-class citizen. Walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Let Him produce the character of Jesus in your life. Walk out in faith on the edge. Make decisions where you have to trust in Jesus. In the next six months, what's one thing that you can do that God has to come through or it's not possible? Maybe that's telling your neighbor the gospel. God, in the next six months, I'm going to tell my neighbor or my colleague the gospel. I can't see a way to do it. But you're going to open up a window, and I'm going to know by your spirit, and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust you. It's going to, in the next six months, God, let's tell that person about you. What can you do in the next six months that's only possible by the Holy Spirit? Walk with Him. Be filled with Him. Daily. Pray. Ask. Trust. Test. Assume God's help in the Spirit. Don't assume you're waiting for Pentecost. Assume that Jesus saved you and gave you the Holy Spirit and that you can learn better and better to walk with Him, but that you have the Spirit to help you and guide you and aid you and fill you. And ask God. Trust God. I don't, I don't like that song, for example, I don't, and I haven't heard it for years and years and years, um, Holy Spirit, fall down or something like that. Fall, come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. It's not, it's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just I, I would hate any Christian to think that he has to come from somewhere to you as opposed to, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh with you. Empower me afresh. Give me a, a fresh love for God. Give me a zeal, Spirit. Trust God. Assume that God has given you His Spirit. Try it. I, I, I feel like I can guarantee you that you, if you will ask God for His Spirit, which is promised by the Father and has been given 
to us. You know, the only other time a Pentecost moment happened in the New Testament was to Cornelius. I think it was Cornelius' house. It came and Peter was praying with him. And you know what they said over there? Peter went, this was a testimony. He went, the Holy Spirit came down upon them like he did us. That was how Peter was like, wow, this thing isn't for the Jews. This thing is for everyone. That was his, how he knew. That was the testimony. The Holy Spirit came down upon, down upon them like he did upon us. God is, is saving and rescuing and empowering and filling them. The promise is for them. And by them, he meant the Gentiles. Them, just like us, the Jews. Leviticus 23 has this thing in which, which had no meaning or symbol. They didn't know why they did it. But they were, given, they were told to take two loaves of bread on this day of Pentecost and go worship the Lord with the, waving these two loaves of bread. And they, they didn't really have a reason for it. But bread to them meant a people. But the Jews are one people. Why do we need two loaves of bread? Just take one. We can wave the one thing. that The people of God worship you today. We trust you. But they were told to take two loaves of bread. There's two groups of people. And that day, Peter understands, whoa, it's not just for us. It's not just one loaf. There's two. So it's everyone. We're all worshiping God together. <laughs> but that's it. That, that's it. From then on, it was every day being filled with the Spirit, trusting God, walking with Him, being empowered, having His dynamite blow up our character, form Christ-likeness, walking out on the edge, seeing doors open. And it never ended. It never ended. It goes on today. The Holy Spirit is not here to give you a good life. The Holy Spirit is here to give you the life of God. And if you want that, He will help you. He will fill you. He will empower you to live for God. Try it. If you keep in step with the Holy Spirit intentionally, you will fulfill the law accidentally. Let me pray.